Good afternoon, Eretz Yisrael. Good morning, America. Welcome to all those joining us for Chaim Aran. We're continuing the Shir, and we dedicate the learning today, Le'ilui Nishmas, Rachamim ben Shlomo and Mazal, Johnny Dayan's father, whose yard site is today, and also Le'ilui Nishmas, Moshe Mordechai ben David Yermio, whose yard site is today, on the 19th of Cheshvan. Also, Le'ilu Nishmas Rosa Bas Itamar, and for a complete refuah shalem of all those that need it, including Chaviva Chana Bas Galia, Idis Bas Miriam Brindel, Yuspendel Bas Gitleya, Sorochel Bas Yuspendel, Avivalana Bas Yuspendel, Soraleya Bas Chavaliba, Eitan Yoel Ben Edna, Tuvia Tzvi Ben Chaya Aliza, Besoich Shar Choli Yisroel, Shemer Eliezer Ben Rochel, we're up to paragraph Vov in the section that's called Sichois Hashayochim Latoyrois, where Rabbi Nosanzal gives us background information on what was going on at the time that Rabbi Nosanzal said a particular Torah and the factors that, that related to why he spoke about that, that item. We're up to Torah Tes Zayin in Likutim Ran. This is after the Rabbah Barbachon Torahs. And Rabbi Nezal bases it on a story in the Gemara, Rabbi Yochanan Mishtoi. Rabbi Yochanan told over a story. Rabbi Nezal points out that that shear was given on Shabbos morning in middle of the summer. And it wasn't one of the regular times that Rabbi Nezal asked his Talmidim to come to him. Shabbosim was only Shabbos Hanukkah that Rabbi Nezal asked his Talmidim to come to him. There were two other Shabbosim, Shabbos Nachamu, Shabbos Shira, that he would go to his Talmidim, he would go to Chirin, he would go to certain other cities to be with them. But this was not a standard Shabbos for getting together. And Rav Nosanzal says, the students happened to gather together there. And Rav Nosanzal seemed to express a little bit of displeasure when he said, oh, you're making your own Shabbosim? Like, you know, you're starting your own Shabbosim, not something that I, I, I asked you to do. And yet, Rabbi Nezal said that I wanted to accomplish something very important. I wanted to, to work on knocking out those punktin, those harsh decrees that the Russian government was working on implementing, especially that draft for Jewish kids. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal said, when I'm by myself, what am I? Like the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avos, when I'm alone, what am I? I'm a simple person. And that's why all of you got the message to come and gather here so that I should be able to accomplish what I, what I need to. And that was when Rabbi Nassau mentioned the short chapter on the Kutumran Torah Kuf Samach Vav, chapter 166, where Rabbi Nassau points out, quoting the Zohar Kodesh, that when Elisha Hanovi was by himself, he's called Elisha. When he was with his Talmidim, he's called Ishoelikim, meaning he's a completely, has a completely different Koyach when his Talmidim are with him. And that Shabbos, Rabbi Nezal said Torah twice, which again was extremely unusual. On Friday night, he said the Torah, Where is the center of the world? This is one of the chapters, it's a famous. Torah Chof Dalet, chapter 24 in Likut Imran, which is one of the deepest chapters in Likut Imran, where Rabbi Nezal speaks about 
how a person can achieve the highest aliyah by, by performing mitzvahs with simcha. We know the Arizal said when he was asked, what was his secret that got him to such an incredible high level? He said it was performing mitzvahs with simcha. The Pesach in Tehillim, Sos Onoichialim Rosecha, Kemoitzei Shalorov. That each time he did a mitzvah, it was like he won the lottery. That kind of a simcha, incredible joy. And that's what took his mitzvahs to a completely, completely different level, even than the tzaddikim during his time. He was living at a time when the, the Beis Yosef, the Al Shech giants, the, the authors of the Shulchan Aruch. And yet the Arizal was in a completely different league than all of them. And he said one of the main things that gave him that ability was performing mitzvahs with simcha. And in this Torah, Rabbi Nezal goes into it explaining, according to the Zohar HaKadosh, incredibly how performing a mitzvah with simcha starts off a chain reaction that elevates all the spheroids, all the midos of Hashem. We're going to see later that when Rabbi Nezal said that Torah, he said it with such hislavus that they couldn't make out the words. This is the only, if I, as far as I know, the only chapter in Likud Yomar about which, which it's written. He was in such a state of excitement and hislavus, they couldn't understand what he was saying. A whole Torah, he spoke maybe for an hour. And it was after Shabbos that he gave over his notes on the Torah. That's when Rav Nosan Zal was able to write over that chapter in Likud Yomaran. And in Likut HaLochas, this fabulous Likut HaLochas on that chapter, Torah of Dalit. And in the morning, Rabbe, at the morning meal, that was when Rabbi Nezal gave over this Torah, chapter 16 in Likut Yomaran, Rabbi Yochanan Nishtoi, where it speaks about an Agadita, where Rabbi Yochanan says he saw a fish, and it's a, a gigantic fish, and its eyes looked like two moons. And Rabbi Nezal commented at the time that we know that there are 70 nations of the Goyim, and those 70 nations are under the umbrella of Esav and Yishmoel. Each one of them has 35 nations under them, these two leaders of all the Goyim. And in the future, all of these 70 nations are going to be conquered by the two Moshiachs. Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. And Rabbi Nezal said, there's a tzaddik, there is a tzaddik who is a koilel of both Moshiachs. He's a combination of Moshiach ben Yosef and Moshiach ben David. Rabbi Nezal says there were other things that were mentioned that Shabbos that were not written down. And he says that what happened was there were so many people there at the time and people trying to get close to hear what Rabbeinazal was saying, that the table broke. And Rabbeinazal seemed to get upset. And he said, what do we have, Goyim here, sitting here? He said, is this the days of Moshiach, when it says, kol ha-goyim, that all the nations will flock to him? And Rabbeinazal points out that that Pesach is also included in that chapter on Likut Imran. And he says, we saw this all the time, that whatever was taking place at the time was always included in the Torah that Rabbi Nezal was speaking about. That year, Rabbi Nezal says, Rabbi Nezal was focusing tremendously on trying to knock out those decrees that the Russian government was planning on implementing. 
And he said, this is not a simple thing. This is going to have a major, major impact on Klal Yisrael if Chas Vashon, they go ahead with this plan, the Cantonese, <clears throat> the Cantonese decrees, where they drafted thousands of Jewish kids into the army for 25 years, into the Tsar's army. And, and most of them found it impossible to be able to hold on to their Yiddishkeit. And Rav Nosenzal points out that Rav Nosenzal was very upset at those people who said, it's not going to happen. The Russians, they're not going to do this. How could it be that Hashem would allow such a thing to happen? And Rabbi Nezal said, what, are you, what kind of ridiculous thing is that to say? We've seen that Klal Yisrael went through many difficult times, an inquisition, other things. So don't, don't say that there can't be such a decree. And Rabbi Nezal said, we have to be very, very worried about these decrees and not to take it lightly. However, in, in Eretz Yisrael, there's an expression, there's nothing to do, you can't do anything. And Rabbi Nezal said, we know that there is what to do, to be mispalel and to scream and plead a lot with Hashem. Maybe, maybe Hashem will be willing to listen and, and negate those decrees because tefillah and crying out to Hashem always helps. Rav Nosenzal points out, take a look later, later on when he's going to speak about chapter 49 in Likut Imran, there also, Rav, Rav Nosenzal elaborates on how much effort Rav Nosenzal put into trying to knock out these decrees. And Rav Nosenzal says, these are the edicts that went out, came out 16 years after Rav Nosenzal passed away. And it was with the zechus of his tefillahs that he was able to push it off for approximately 25 years from when the government started speaking about this to when they actually implemented it. And Rav Nosen Zaleh's Halavai, we would have listened to him to turn over the world, you know, and to really daven maximum, we definitely could have knocked out these decrees completely. Any questions, please? Next, Rav Nusenzal speaks about Torah Yud Zayin, chapter 17 in Likut Imran, which begins with the words, Vayihi heim merikim sakehem. It's speaking about the brothers of Yosef Hatzavik when they went down to Egypt to buy food. There was a tremendous famine at the time, and they purchased food. And when they left, they took a look in their sacks, and they found the money that they were supposed to have paid for the food the money was back in their sacks, like somebody had put it back. And they were terrified. They were worried because, again, they're going to be excused of stealing. They, they didn't pay for the food. Rav Nosenzal writes that that shear was given on Shabbos Hanukkah of the year 5,566. 5, and Rav Nosenzal writes that year, there were many converts that came and joined Klal Yisrael. And in many of the cases, they, when they came, they said what made them, what gave them the idea to convert was they found in their books, in their theology books, they found contradictions, things that contradicted their faith. And that's what made them realize that this can't be true. And that was when they started searching, investigating Yiddishkeit, and they came and converted. 
And Rabbeinazal speaks about this in that chapter in Likudaman, he explains exactly how that happens. How is it possible that these contradictions get into their books? He speaks about how certain times when Sadiqim are speaking, if the air is clear, their words are able to travel. We know when a person's talking and they're in a tent and it's pouring rain and it's beating down on the tent, it's making a lot of noise. You can't hear, somebody speaks, you get standing 10 feet away, you can't hear. But if the air is perfectly clear, then even if a person isn't yelling, the voice carries. Rabbi Nezal explains there that when stucca is given properly, that clears the air. Stucca makes friendships. It removes barriers between two different classes of people, wealthy and poor. So it creates an avir hanach vazach. And when the air is clear, the words of tzaddikim are able to travel far. How far? They're able to cross borders to get out of the ballpark of Klal Yisrael and enter into the Sfarim of the Goyim. And then suddenly they're reading their theology books and they see contradictions. They see things that don't make sense. And that's what gets them to be able to come and join Klal Yisrael. I'm just telling it over briefly. Over there in that chapter in Kutman, Rabbi Nezal explains this very clearly, giving psukim and gemaras to show this clearly. And, and Rabbi Nezal says this was already heard of even in previous generations from many Geirin, that they said that that's what got them interested in leaving their religion. And, and suddenly on Shabbos Hanukkah, when Rabbi Nezal said that, Rabbi Nezal writes, there was a priest that was uh, the leader in one of these villages nearby. And he came and he came to Rabbi Nezal and he told him that what got him to come and want to join Klal Yisrael was the fact that he found in their theology books things that contradicted their, their faith. And so too a woman and her sons also came and converted at that time. And she said that her whole family converted also because they found things in their books that contradicted their faith. And Rabbi Nassau writes also the famous Gert Sedek during the time of the Vilna Goyen, I think it was called Patatsky, Patat, something like that, a famous Ger who was, born to, a, who was a, a, born to an aristocratic family at the time. And he went and, and became a Ger Tzedek and they persecuted him and chased him down. They, they turned the whole world over to track him down to find him. And they ended up killing him, burning him at the stake. So he also, it's, it is, his case is very well known. There were books written about it. And there also, what made him leave his religion was the fact that he discovered contradictions in their books. Rav Nelson Zaleh's, I also spoke to Eger, and he told me similarly the same thing. And based on that chapter, chapter 17 in Likut Imran, you have all the details on exactly how this works, how this comes about. And Rav Nelson Zaleh's, that during, when, when Rav Nelson said this Torah, at that time, there were many Geirim in the world that came and joined Klal Yisrael. It's interesting to note that there are several chapters in Likud Imran where Rabbi Nezal talks about this topic. In most religious circles, you don't necessarily hear any discussion about it. And, and in Likud Imran, there are several chapters in Likud Imran devoted to this. This doesn't mean that we proselytize, that we go out and try to encourage Goyim to join Klal Yisrael, chas v'shalom. There are halachas about how to go about this. 
but this is a fact that there are geirim, there are converts, and, and we find especially in our days, I know throughout the, my, my short career, the, the past 45, 50 years, I've had many instances of geirim contacting us and showing an interest in Breslov and Rabbein Zalsforim. In fact, one of the extraordinary cases, this is going back about 35 years ago, I had given a series of shurim on the topic of Hispoidus, speaking to Hashem in your own words, from the Sefer Hishtapus Anefesh, Outpouring of the Soul, and it's on our website, about 25 shurim. I got a letter, like a six, seven page letter, from Father Bro, from Louisiana, New Orleans, Louisiana, who has a parish, a whole community, and that they all, he, he's teaching, they're learning this, outpouring, they, they all have hispoidus, they go out for hispoidus in the forest, etc. And he sent, he said this went, that went on over a period of about two years that I would get letters. And at the time I called my Rebbe, Reb Michal Dorf, to ask, am I allowed to respond? What should be done? And he said, don't initiate anything. If he writes to you, if he asks questions, answer the questions. And this contact continued for about two years and then lost contact. But again, father bro, and there are, there are many stories like this, especially we know the Arizal says, as we're getting closer to the coming of Moshiach, we're getting closer to the finish line. There are all kinds of neshamos that are trying to jump in, join before the gate closes. The Gemara says, Ein Moshiach. Once Moshiach comes, nobody can convert anymore. So the question is now: These geirim, where, the, how do they get a neshama? These are all things that are discussed in the Zohar Kodesh, and Rabbi Nazar speaks about it in Likutei Maran. Any questions? Are there more people trying to become yidden these days? I believe definitely. I believe that the statistics are that there's a lot going on all over the world because of the fact that it's becoming more and more clear to many religious non-Jews that their religion, those, those leading their religion are, are, are not that religious. This is mostly from Russia? I believe yes. I believe yes. Although I've met Muslim, a Muslim there, there are Muslim converts also. Ooh. Definitely. Yes, Rabbi. <clears throat> did, did the uh, did did Rebbe Nachman mention how he, the Sadaka was involved in this Torah? Definitely, definitely. I, I, I mentioned that again, in order for, for a message to travel, you need, the air has to be clear. When there's turbulence in the air, then words can't travel far. And Rebbe Nachman shows from Sukkim, there's a postuk, V'oyave Oshir Rabim that wealthy people have many friends. People, people are drawn to them. And, and Rabbi Nizal explains there that when a person gives stucco, his charity, that creates a clear air, a good atmosphere between two people, two cultures, which are normally distant from each other. Wealthy people and poor people are generally far apart. The mitzvah stucco brings them together, bonds them, and creates a clear ear between them. So Rabbi Nezal explains there, when you give tzedakah to one person, you're creating one cubic feet, let's say, for example, of clear ear. 
when you give tzedakah to a hundred people or a thousand people, you're creating a thousand cubic feet of clear air. Rabbi Nezal says that when you're giving to a Talmud Chacham, a Talmud Chacham is considered to be a composite of many souls. We know the Gemara says, which woman gave birth to 600,000 souls in one shot? Yocheved, the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is compared to all 600,000 Nishamas. But Rabbeinu Zal shows there that a Talmud Chacham in general is considered like multiple, like a Rabbim. The Gemara mentions this in certain places. So when a person gives stalker to a Talmud Chachamim, they're generating a huge area of clear air. And when the air is clear and tzaddikim are teaching Torah, their words can travel. And their words travel and find their ways into the books of, of the non-Jews, into their theology books. What do you mean? This is audio and this is written. Rabbi Nezal shows psukim, showing the connection. And then those people from these other religions studying their religions in their books, they find these contradictions. Now, the question is, are these just plain non-Jews? Rabbi Nezal explains another thing, that when the non-Jews tried to block a Jew from performing mitzvahs, when they issued a decree that Jews are not allowed to observe Shabbos, are not allowed to have bris mila, etc., that the, the Torah is goodness. Every mitzvah is, is a display of goodness. When the non-Jews block us from performing mitzvahs, they are swallowing up this goodness of ours. They're swallowing up these mitzvahs and maizim toivim that we could be doing, and they're preventing us from doing it. That goodness, which is found in their arena by these non-Jews, when it connects, when it hears the words of these tzaddikim, it, it awakens, it wakens them up, and they realize, what are we doing here? We don't belong here. This holiness that was swallowed up by the non-Jews realizes we don't belong here. This is not our place. And they, they seek to get out. There's a whole process. You'll study that chapter on the Kutumran, chapter 17. You'll see the full detail how Rabbi Nezal explains this. Anyone else, please? I've had a couple of friends over the years, older people, that you were born, and they clearly said, you know, Sam, you know your religion is religion. You know that. We know that your religion is the true religion. There are some involved in uh, social scene and our children and whatever to do anything about it. But I've had outright non-Jews that admitted that, of course, of course, of course, and people who were very intelligent, who were very prominent. If if a person is genuinely honest. They're going to be able to see or feel what's more honest and what's what's less honest, what's more real and what's less real. The next paragraph, <coughs> paragraph Ches, Rav Nosenzal speaks about, again, another chapter in Likut Imran, Torah Yud Ches, chapter 18, which begins, Rabbi Yoinasan Mishtoi. Rabbi Yoinasan told over a vision that he had where he saw a box. He saw these under divers that dive underwater and they retrieve, they wanted to retrieve a certain box that had these pearls in it and it was surrounded by fish, a whole story there. So Rav Nosazal says, shortly before Rabbi Nosazal gave that shear, 
my friend Rab Naftali and I went in to see him. We came into his room and he was lying on his bed and he started speaking to us. And he said, today, I lived a life that I've never lived before. I experienced living like I never experienced it before. And Rabbi Nezal went on to say, there are all kinds of different levels of what's called living. But today, I lived a real good life that I never experienced yet till now. <clears throat> and then he began to speak, and he began to reveal some of the things that he speaks about in that chapter on Likut Imran, chapter 18. But only headings, not, he didn't go into the full detail. And afterwards, Rabbi Nezal spoke about this at other times also, about the difference between to exist and to live. We say an animal exists. The term living, life, chayim, that term chayim refers to a higher level of life. And Rabbi Nezal spoke also about suffering, chayi tsar, when people are experiencing suffering, there's all kinds of variations of it. And, and Rav Nosanzal says we understood that what, what's really called living, according to the Torah, is when a person has real, true recognition of Hashem. That's called living. As the Pesach says about the Torah, ki hu chayecha. This is your life. This is called living. Living is when a person studies Torah and they, they, they achieve higher and higher levels of awareness and recognition of Hashem. And, and no two people are the same in this. And even by Rabbi Nezal himself, there were differences. Rabbi Nezal expressed this fact that there were major differences in his life as to how he was living at one point and, and afterwards a completely different level of life to the point where he was able to say that today I experience living like I never had before. Rav Nosanzal says, study this carefully and understand the depth of this, what this means. A person who, who never, who didn't stay in one place, even for a moment, he was constantly climbing, constantly reaching, trying to go higher and higher in connecting to Hashem, to the point where he was able to say that his like that we have this term life changing. There are people who say that, you know, once 10 years ago, I had a life changing experience. By Rabbi Nezal, it was life changing every minute. Every minute was life changing in his drive, his incredible drive to get close to Hashem, to get closer. There's a story one time that a, a doctor was taking his, his blood pressure, his temperature, and they took it and he saw it's a certain thing, and he said, maybe try it again, try it again, something different. And the doctor was surprised there was a major difference. And he said, maybe try it again. To, to, the third time, he'll put, try it, it's still different. And the doctor, like, he never saw anything like this before. He said, well, what's going on here? Is it the instrument? He said, no, no, your instrument is okay. Just I don't stay in the same place for two minutes in a row. I'm, I'm changing constantly. I'm experiencing new life all the time. And this was one of the major focuses of Rabbi Nezal, this union of his chachus. We know that in, in, in Judaism, we, we measure time by the month chodesh. The non-Jews go by the solar year, and we go by the lunar year. The lunar year, it's called a chodesh, a month. And the word chodesh is miloshin chodosh, new. The moon doesn't stay in one place. Every day it's changing. The first half of the month, 
it's becoming larger and larger. The second half of the month, it's becoming smaller till almost disappears. And then it comes back brand new again. And Rav Nosson Zal closes with these words, Ashrenu shezachinu lirois ish chai kozeh. How lucky we were to be zeichet to see a person who was so alive. That term, alive. The next paragraph, paragraph tests, Rav Nosson Zal speaks about chapter 20 in Likut Imran, Torah Chof, which begins quoting from one of the deepest portions in the Zohar Kodesh, speaking about tes, tisha tikunin yakirin ismasru ledikna. The Zohar Kodesh speaks about two forms of the attributes of kindness of Hashem. There's what most people are aware of, that in the Chumash and also in the Navi Micha, we have the shloishes remido shorachmim, the 13 attributes of kindness. Hashem, Hashem, kel rachum v'chanun, on, on Rosh Hashanah, when we go for Tashlich, we see in the Tashlich, it says there also, it quotes from Micha, Mi Kel Kamoicha, and in most Machzoyer Muslim, they'll show you on top the correspondence between the Shloishas Remidos as it appears in the Chumish and the Shloishas Remidos as it appears in the Navi Micha. But the Zohar Kodesh also speaks about another level, a, a, a different level called Nine Tikunim, that are found in the beard, the zokin, the beard. We know that the beard represents the, the youthfulness or the aging of a person. There's, there's sukkim that speak about Hashem Kaviochel as, as a bochur in a young state, black beard representing young state, and mellowing, getting older, represent, being represented by whiteness. The Gemara speaks about how Hashem appeared to Kali Yisrael and Harsinai. It says, like an elderly person filled with kindness, that, that mellowing out. So the Zohar Kodesh speaks about the term zokein means beard, and the term zokein also means an elder, an older person. And the Zohar Kodesh here speaks about nine different aspects of the beard on a very deep level. And Rabbi Nassau has a chapter on Likut Imran, an incredible chapter where he explains the secret about Moshe Rabbeinu striking the rock, why that happened and how it happened and what came about as a result of that and how that caused Moshe Rabbeinu and Arakoin not to be allowed to get into Eretz Yisroel. It's one of the incredible, incredible chapters in Likutei Maran. Rav Nelson Zal writes, that shear was given on Rosh Hashanah, Tovkuf Samachei, which came out on Thursday and Friday that year. The previous summer, between Pesach and Shavuos, Rav Nosanzal writes, we were there, we were by Rav when his mechutan, one of Rav mechutanim, the Rebbe from Chamalnik, was by Rav and that's when Rav revealed a vision that he had seen, an incredible vision, which is related to this chapter in Likut Imran. We're going to see this later. It's pre presented here in Chaim Oran about someone who is sitting on the ground and, and giving over Torah and all the people around him were feeling it. And then at one point he disappears. An incredible vision that Rabbi Nezal saw. And Rabbi Nezal said that this chapter in Likut Imran, chapter 20, is an explanation of that vision. Rabbi Nezal said, in addition, the entire Likut Imran, every chapter on Likut Imran 
has in it different hints of this vision that Rabbeinu Zal saw. But this chapter, chapter 20, is a complete explanation of what that vision was all about. We'll see it a little bit later. Then on Shavuos, this was between Pesach and Shavuos. That year on Shavuos, which came out on Wednesday, Thursday, Rabbi Nezal gave the Shir chapter 19 in Likut Yamaran, which is also, again, one of the gigantic, a huge chapter where Rabbi Nezal explains the whole concept of Loshen Kodesh and Targum. We know that there are 70 languages and there's Loshen Kodesh. Loshen Kodesh is the holy language with which Hashem created the world, which the Torah is written in, and Targum is a bridge between the other languages, the 70 languages, and Loshen Kodesh. And it's mentioned in Sifrei Kabbalah and the Zohar Kodesh. There's a lot written about this. This chapter 19, Rabbi Nezal goes into incredible, incredible detail and depth explaining the languages, the Loshen Kodesh, the other languages, and Targum, what each one is all about. And it's one of the areas where he speaks a lot about Tikkun Abris, many the concept of Shnayim Mikro Targum, many, many important topics in Yiddishkeit that are explained in this chapter on Likut Yimran. Later on that summer, Rabbi Nezal began to tell over chapter 21 in Likut Yimran, which is again, <clears throat> another, these chapters are all based on Safra Ditzniusa, a, a hidden, it's called the Hidden Sefer, which is one of the sections in the Zohar Kodesh that's very deep. And this chapter, Atiko Tomir Vesosim, chapter 21, Rabbi Nezal speaks about a number of, it, it, was, it, it ended up being told over on Shabbos Nachmu, and he has a major explanation about what Shabbos Nachmu is all about. So Rabbi Nezal writes that originally when he gave the shir, he gave it over piecemeal. He spoke about one topic, at another time, another piece, another piece, and it was on Shabbos Nachmu that he officially presented that chapter on the Kutman, gave over the whole Torah. And Rabbi Nezal says, I was standing with, in front of Rabbi Nezal on Erev Rishchodesh Ov, which is when we stop eating meat. Rishchodesh Ov, and that year was on a Sunday, I'm sorry, was on a Monday, I believe. And Rav Nosanzal says, I was there on Sunday night when you stop eating meat. That Rishchidosh, we don't have meat. And Rav Nosanzal seemed to be in a very, very serious, concentrating state. And he was lying on his bed and he was quiet. He didn't say anything. I could tell he was thinking all kinds of deep thoughts. And I stood there trembling in a sense. I saw there's something big going on. And Rav Nosanzal writes, I stood there for several hours. And then he, then Rabbi Nezal spoke up and said that this Shabbos, I was crying to Hashem. And I asked Hashem, why is it that everything I want to do comes so difficult? It's such a struggle. And I have to use Mesiris Nefesh to be able to accomplish it. And Rabbi Nezal said that every single day when he gets up in the morning and he wants to daven, he finds that he can't open his mouth at all. And he, he doesn't have what to, what to energize himself with. And then he, he tries to remember at least a song, a nigm, 
sometimes you remind yourself of a niggin and that can give you a pickup. You start humming a niggin. And he says, even that, I can't, somehow I can't remember a niggin at that time to the point where I can't imagine how I'm going to start davening. And despite that, I push myself, I get up to daven. And then in the middle of the davening, sometimes I remember a niggin and I'm able to push it through. And Rabbi Nassau points out that Rabbi Nassau made this perfectly clear that everything that he tries to do doesn't come easy. It comes through struggle and he has to really push himself and kill himself to be able to make it happen. And now Rabbi Nassau adds an incredible paragraph here. He says that hearing this gave me tremendous inspiration and encouragement to, to learn a Kalvachimer for myself, um, how much we need to encourage ourselves and motivate ourselves and push ourselves when we want to do something important, when we want to dive in, we want to learn, we want to do something important, how much sometimes a person has to be willing to push, not to assume that if, if I don't feel it, so I'll wait till tomorrow. Don't feel it, make yourself push, push yourself sometimes. He said, imagine if a, an incredible, holy, awesome tzaddik like this said that he had to push himself sometimes very, very hard to be able to daven. And for any dover shebikdusha he wanted to accomplish, he had major obstacles and heaviness. How much more so we should expect that it's not necessarily going to come easy. Yiddishkeit doing mitzvahs is not going to come easy. And a person has to be willing to push, to try very hard, especially when it comes to davening, whereby sometimes a person starts davening and it's very heavy. They're not, it's, it's not going. I can't concentrate. I can't, I'm, I'm tired. And a person needs to really push themselves in all kinds of different ways and to use all kinds of eitzos that maybe I'll be zeichet to get out a, a good feeler. Because for one good word of tefillah, it's worth killing yourself, Rabbi Nossa. It's worth being moiser nefesh to be able to get out one good tefillah. Because the Gemara says, tefillah is dvorim hoimdim berumay shaloylan. It's among the most important things in Yiddishkeit, the most important things in life. So if it's, somebody tells you that something is very important and it's not coming so easy, don't, don't be afraid to push, to try harder and harder and harder to be able to make it happen. Rav Masazal says, paragraph Yudalif, that at that time, he also told me, interesting to note, people have asked me about this many times. Are you allowed to have his this on Shabbos? Are you allowed to ask for things on Shabbos? And the answer is not just you're allowed to, you're supposed to, Shabbos is the best day of the week for his to speak to Hashem. Am I, allowed to ask, am I allowed to ask for things? Bakoshois. The answer is, number one, if you're asking for ruchnias, if you're asking for simcha, if you're asking for emuna, if you're asking for yerushamayim, of course you're allowed to ask for those. No, no question. Of course, not just allowed to, but supposed to. And even a person, we know in our tefillah, in some of our tefillahs, we ask for, there are things we, we, things we ask for, um, Hashem, give us joint happiness with your Yeshua, 
Yeshua means everything. It means Ruchnius and Gashmius. We make a Mishaberach at the Sefer Torah on Shabbos. We say Shabbos Himilizoid, but we daven for a full Shalema for people. A person's not supposed to get into the, the warning there is not to daven for personal needs if it's going to get you down, if it's going to pull you down, if by dwelling on the problems I'm having in Parnassa right now, or the problems I'm having in health, if dwelling on it is going to get me, is going to make me sad, you're not allowed to do that on Shabbos. But if it says, but if just the opposite, if having the opportunity to talk to Hashem about it, if that's going to give me relief and release, Baruch Hashem, I got to unload, I got to tell Hashem what my struggle, what I'm going through, I feel better, a person's allowed to do it. And the Shulchan Aruch says that regarding crying, if crying will relieve a person's pain, it'll relieve a person's anguish, they're allowed to cry on Shabbos. This is clearly in the Mishnah Burin Shulchan Aruch. So here we see that Rabbi Nezal said that he cried on Shabbos. It doesn't mean every Shabbos, but it means that a person who, who tastes what his spoiledus is, what it means, what an unbelievable privilege it is to speak to Hashem, to really speak to Hashem. And if a person is going to come to tears in his us, there's no price, there's no price you can put on that. There isn't enough money in this world to, to pay for what, what a privilege it is for a person to cry to Hashem in tefillah, in your own tefillah. And, and the relief, the, 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 the high that a person gets from that is higher than any other high in the world. So here again, you don't force yourself to cry, but if a person experiences a real sincere tefillah from their heart on Shabbos, and they're able to really open up and tell Hashem struggles they're happening, having, whether it's shalom bias, whether it's children raising children, all of these different things, there's no greater relief. There's no greater joy. It says, take your package and put it on Hashem. I, I heard a marshal about this. You get a person who's holding a very, very heavy sack and they get onto a bus or, or a wagon and they're standing there still holding the sack and somebody tells them, idiot, put it down. Put it down. You don't, you don't have to stand there holding it. That's this concept of tefillah, that when a person is to have a, a real proper tefillah, you're taking all those things that are on you, supposedly, and you're putting it down, you're turning it over to Hashem, you're putting it, now it's not my problem anymore. I, I gave it to Hashem, Hashem can handle it, Hashem can handle it, Hashem can deal with it. And, and that faith, that once I did that, I'm confident that Hashem listens to tefillah and Hashem will help. Is it going to happen immediately after I daven? Not necessarily. The Pesach says, Kaveil Hashem, Chazak Hashem. We're told that tefillah requires encouragement because if it would work that way, if you would see results immediately afterwards, there'd be no Bechira. Be, everybody would be doing it. Rav Nassan writes in the Kutelah, so a person saw that the moment he writes a check for Tzedakah, he immediately gets, gets 10 times that or 100. There'd be no Bechira. So it can't, it can't be that way that a person sees the results right away. But, but we believe, and Rav Nassan makes it emphatically clear we believe that every tefillah, every mitzvah person does is, is life-changing and world-changing. Any questions? Uh, Shavua Tov. 
it seems that this collection of Torahs are related all the way from like 17 onward to 21. And you had talked before in Torah 17 when Rabbeinazal mentions, like when the Sitra Achra is um, against the Jewish people and kind of like confiscating their mitzvahs. Uh, how does that relate with um, the current Torah uh, regarding, um, you know, it's filot um, and uh, kavanah uh, with currently what's going on in Israel with al-Aqsa and everything else, like meaning that isn't there a potential relationship between Hashem, you know, causing the goyim to uh, uh, to not rage against the Jewish people with their sitrachra and basically leave where they are in Al-Aqsa. I apologize. I don't understand exactly what you're asking. If you could make it a little clearer. I'm saying, um, you know, the Sitra Akhra, meaning that there is currently a presence, like, for instance, as an example in Al-Aqsa, you know, with us actually having a Beit HaMikdash. The relationship between, you know, Tefillah and Hidbodadut with all these Torahs that Rabbi Nachman uh, is expounding on, they seem to be very much related. That, that's all I'm saying. Is that, is that correct? For sure. For sure. The, the Torah is called a, a book of life. I once heard from one of the rabbis, Rabbi Pinchas Taitz, I had the privilege of spending time with him. And he said to me, how do you interpret that, that the Torah is called Eitz Chaim? And, and I knew he wanted to say something, so I, I listened. And he said, if you want to know the best commentary on life, Life meaning what's going on around you in life. The best commentary on life is the Torah. And if you want to know the best commentary on Torah, if you want to be able to understand the Torah that you're learning, look at life. Look at what's going on around you. Look at it carefully and honestly, and you'll be able to see the Torah coming to you. You'll be able to see how the Torah is speaking to you in, in what's going on around you, what's going on in the world. Sorry. Um, so, how does one balance this idea of one of the things I've heard now and then in the past that I've read that you take your stars, take your things, and you kind of put it on Hashem with like the idea of gratitude? So, I'm putting, couldn't I see it as like thank you as opposed to like putting it on him? An important question. How does a person deal with suffering and problems and pain and, 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 trying to get rid of those things, trying to unload it, beg Hashem to take away the suffering and the pain versus the whole topic of gratitude, thanking Hashem and, and thanking Hashem for the pain because we're told that the pain erases sins and sometimes Hashem sends pain in order to inspire us to do tshuva, that, that the pain is really a gift. It's a, it's a, a very important positive aspect, not just the pain, but all types of suffering. The answer is both are true, and it's not a contradiction. There are different levels, and we see this in the Torah, and we see this in, in Breslov writings by Rabbeinazal, Rabbeinazal. We see that Rabbeinazal didn't invite pain. There is a place in the Gemara where one of the rabbis, Rabbi Eloza, would say, they heard him saying to his suffering, come, 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 
come come to me you know at certain times he would invite uh, invite pain these these are tzaddikim on a very very high level that can handle it for people like us we know that we can't necessarily be confident and positive that we're going to handle it the right way when we have pain or problems or suffering the the normal response is to ask hashem to 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 alleviate it to take it away what about the benefits? What about the benefits in the pain? Uh, somebody wants to give you a gift. A doctor is going to operate on a person in order to save their hand. There's a certain infection there. If we don't operate, you're going to lose the whole hand. And the, but it's going to hurt. The person, if the person is slightly normal, they're going to say, I'll take the hurt, you know, rather than chasham, lose the hand. When a person is dealing on a physical level with a doctor, a doctor can say there's no other choice. Either we amputate or you're going to lose the hand. Hashem can't say that. Hashem can, can provide whatever result he wants. He can provide it through judgment, through pain and suffering. And he can provide the same thing through sweetness, through positive things. And we're told that one of the ways, the concept of a person dying, we know one of the most severe punishments that a person can get to atone for a sin is death. The death penalty. The Zohar Kodesh writes that prayer, real prayer, is a form of death. There's a ki olecho hayragnu kol hayoyim. Hashem, we kill ourselves for you all day. The Zohar Kodesh says that refers to prayer. When a person is really davening the right way, putting their whole heart into it, putting everything they have into it, that's a form of mesiras nefesh. So, so it could come this way or come that way. Again, the Sforim and Rabbeinazal writes about this. There's an incredible high level. There are tzaddikim that are on such a high level that when something negative happens to them, they're able to say, thank you, Hashem. Thank you for my problem. But we know the halacha, as far as today, as far as we in this world today, the Gemara makes it clear that when something good happens, you say bracha A, you say atoy v'ametiv, when something, when a tragedy happens, you say a different bracha, Baruch Dayan Hoemes. Now, if a person says, but, I, but I'm a tzaddik, so Chasusham Lo Aleinu, a parent passed away, Baruch Hashem I believe that it's good. He's breaking the law. That's not a breast of a minute or anything. That's Asur, it's forbidden. You need to know that there are boundaries. You know, now a person, Rabbi Nachman writes in a chapter on the Quran, the beginning of chapter four, that when a person gets to a level where they know that the good and the bad, it's all really good, that's a taste of Olam Haba. So again, a person can, we know that Shabbos is a taste of Olam Haba. A person can experience that in this world, but it's, it's a high madrega. It's a very high level. There are certain norms, certain norms, which we're supposed to, we're supposed to live by those norms. I remember there's a chapter in the Kutimran where Rabbi Nassar writes, I believe it's possibly 17 or in that area where Abenazar writes about tefillah and he says that when a person's ruchnius gets fixed, then the gashmius gets fixed automatically. You don't, it, it would seem to imply you don't have to pray for both. There are two major areas, all the materialistic things going on in my life, my pranasa, my health, my shamba, and the spirituality. And Rav Enzal says that but when the Ruchnius gets corrected, the Gashmius automatically gets corrected. And it would seem to imply, so then why I'd much rather spend my time davening for Ruchnius. I asked one of my rabbis about this, and he said at the time, 
we are supposed to daven for both. We're supposed to daven for both. You look in Likute Tfilas, he's davening for both. We know and we believe that any tefillah that's for Ruchnius automatically will also affect the Gashmias. But it's not a heter to make believe that I'm an Olam Haba now, and therefore I don't have to, I'm not going to talk about Gashmias at all. I'm going to just be only Ruchnius. That's not, you know, we, we look at what our rabbis do and we see that, that that's the right way. So the person could, I guess, have others say, you know, God, please take this away. But then it's also like, also, thank you for the opportunity. But if you don't mind, uh... Exactly, exactly. You, you mentioned that that was a penalty. So penalty for the person who's dying or the people who are not dying? Because isn't it really a relief and an opening for the person who's dying? Good question. They're gaining a lot. Good question. We mentioned that death is a penalty. Question number one, is it a penalty for the person themselves, the one who's dying? And is there also a good side to it? And what about the people around them that are being affected by it? The, the, the answer is there's positive and negative aspects to it. Death is defined as one of the penalties that because of Adam and Chava eating from the Eitz Hadas, had they not eaten from the Eitz Hadas, we could have had the highest level of connection to Hashem without having to experience death, without dying. Because they ate from the Eitz Hadas, we cannot achieve that high without first going down, going down into the ground, being buried, dying, buried, and that Yerida, that downer, we, we believe, in, and for those that are Zoycha, results in a tremendous high of, of the soul being able to go up and achieve. So there's a positive, there's a positive aspect to it. There's a negative aspect to it. There's the suffering, there's Chibu Tagever, there's suffering that some people experience in the grave. And there's a lot of, there could be a lot of, lot of difficulties before the person gets to that high. So there's positive and negative aspects to it. In terms of how it affects the people around them, the, 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 uh, the Medrash, I believe, says that a, a king, a human king, the most righteous human king, somebody does something against him and he gives that person a penalty. He's in jail, not, not 20 years, 10 years, 12 days, six hours and 14 minutes. And they did a computer calculation. They can show the person exactly why they're getting that exact penalty. But the question is, what did that person's wife do to have to be without a husband for that period of time? What did the kids do to have to be without a father? What did his boss at work, he's the top salesman. What did the boss do to have to lose his best salesman? A human king can't coordinate that. Hashem, when he issues any type of pain or suffering or any, any form to an individual, the individual is being affected exactly in the way they're supposed to. And all the people around them that are being affected by it are also. We say, Hashem is Yashar, he's righteous, and doesn't do anything wrong. That's double talk. He's righteous to the individual and nothing wrong. All the people around that person that are being affected, it's all being measured and calculated with precision that they're supposed to be affected exactly the way they are. Knowing this, you know, makes things a lot, we hear, see stories, number one, 
a child loses a parent or chas when it's the reverse. A parent loses a child. When a parent has to attend a child's funeral, <coughs> we look at that and we can't imagine, you know, what, what could a person have done so terrible to have to go through that, to have to experience that. But we know that if it's Hashem doing it, Hashem knows everything is being done with 100% fairness and justice and all for an eternal benefit. Is what, there'll come a time that we're going to realize that there was a good to all of this. Thank you very much, Rabbi. Is, uh, is there a Milo, like, are you supposed to learn Likuti Maran in order, like the way it was written, Alephaz Gimel? The answer is yes. It doesn't have to be learned that way. Sometimes for beginners, it pays to first start with some of the easier chapters first to get their feet wet. <coughs> but generally, when people learn Likuti Maran, they go in order from beginning to end. Definitely. There is definitely benefits. Wishing everybody a wonderful day and a wonderful week. We should be to get to draw the inspiration and motivation that we can from these stories. We to get closer to, to the tzaddikim and Tashem every day and to the Gula Shlemi.